Hey guys, and welcome to the next episode of the Shane Walsh Fitness Podcast. So before myself and Dallas start yapping on about random stuff that you guys have kind of sent into us over Q&As and client questions, which keep, please, please, please keep sending them in. We will continue to do episodes as much as we can. So in the last little while, the stats, everything have come up. The feedback for these kind of style of episodes has got, has been incredible for both myself and Dallas. And the met, the vanity metrics that are up on like being number two in nutrition podcasts up on Apple in Ireland is bananas. So I cannot thank you enough. Dallas cannot thank you enough. And we will continue to do this for as long as possible until all of you stop listening, but please don't do that. That would be really, really sound if you didn't. So we're going to do like a Coach's Corner volume three. Um, so we've done two volumes already and these are kind of like the myths and then the second one was my fat loss myths. So go back and listen to that episode and that was episode 147 and then this is episode 151. So Dallas, how are we, sir? Oh, very good. Very good. Uh, I just want to have a quick shout out and be that we're doing episode three of Coach's Corner and it is officially the three anniversary of uh, SWF. I think it's perfectly put together, don't you think? I knew you were going to embarrass me, but yeah, it is. But yeah, thank you for like at the day we're recording this is the is the third uh, the third birthday of uh, SWF. I didn't realize it, but the message coming in again, guys. Thank you. Um, it's so weird. And everyone knows I get really awkward with compliments, so I'll continue to be an awkward turtle. Uh, so that's why Dallas did it. Um, so the, I think today's episode, there's a lot of topics that we have written down. We might even split these t- into two podcasts. We haven't decided yet. Depends on how we're going through it. But there's a lot kind of we're going to be talking about, a few various different things, a bit of mindset stuff, a bit of technical stuff, which we'll, we're going to break down. And I think there's a few myths to be busted in this as well. So I think the first thing that we're going to talk about is kind of in relation to soy. So I think soy gets a bit of bad publicity in the press in relation to impact on hormones, particularly for females and Mm. kind of like the limits and all these kind of things. I think a lot of people put limits on certain types of food. So one of the questions that kind of came in a a little while ago was, do soy-based foods play with your hormones? And is there kind of a limit on how much you should eat? And I know... This is something that Dallas has done a bit of good, good bit of research into kind of to, before the episode. Who knew prepping before an episode? <laughs> <laughs> well, if I'm going to be talking off uh, or to basically talking off memory, then, you know, I might be given a few points of, you know, extrapolation or speculation. We don't really want to be going into that aspect. But in terms of it, so the question is essentially like, Soy as a product, what does it do with your hormones? What does it do in terms of any negative aspects? So when we're looking at soy products, um, it's a bioactive compound, so isoflavonous uh, within the product. Now, these are often plant-derived, they're natural, which is all good. But one of the other things that a lot of people critique it about is the fact that it does exhibit some estrogen-like action within the human body, you know? And because of that aspect, a lot of people clinch onto it and say, like, this is going to cause a problem. But what we don't necessarily often tell people about it is it depends on the environment. It depends on quite a lot of factors. So when we see that you have at least a little bit extra soy in your diet, we see enhancing of your cognition. So basically, if you think about intention, the ability to do certain aspects on a daily basis is uh, increased in that sense. 
which is a wonderful thing. We also see higher quality functions. So if you want to think about the higher, higher quality functions would be the ability of storing more information, processing information better, or having better memory formation, which is awesome in that sense. So it's linking to certain areas within the brain, which do rely on some estrogen aspects. So in some aspects, it is going to be a wonderful thing that having a lib in your diet is going to be awesome. So think about obviously your cognition aspect. But then we do see other aspects in terms of when we take some of the studies and we've done them in rats, we see that having too much soy will be an issue for, say, thyroid because it will limit the iodine uptake. Now, rats and humans, yes, are completely different, but we need to start somewhere, but it gives us an inclination of what could happen. However, obviously, studies that we went after, say, taking the rat studies and went into the human studies, we then start to notice that there was little to no effect on the thyroid gland, but we still don't have a lot of research to definitively say it won't be too much of an issue. So if it's coming from more of, a, say, a thyroid aspect, you would say probably don't go crazy with it. And that's just purely for the fact that we don't have a lot of research to say definitively don't go overboard. What if, what's, is there a definition of overboard? Is there like a metric or a ratio or what kind of? Yeah, yeah, no. So like in terms of like men, the kind of aspect is about 380 milligrams per day um, of soy products. So that's often, and that was done from two um, kind of, how do we say, anecdotal reports essentially where they just found the two men started having issues in terms of testosterone. They started having issues um, with their free testosterone, sex hormone binding goblin. So those are the aspects who were found in those two kind of retroactive studies. So we kind of go, that's a limitation there because it wasn't obviously controlled. There wasn't any blind studying, randomized or any of those aspects. So we look in that aspect and go, okay, that might be a limit for some, but there's still a lot of evidence still need to be done to go say, yes, there is a true threshold. Like with most aspects in nutrition, as you and I both know, it is very hard to pinpoint exact threshold. Usually the 10 to 20 um, kind of milligrams a day of soy from the study seems to be perfectly okay. So we're good on that sense. And is there a particular type of kind of food for to get that measurement of soy in? Or is there kind of one that you should avoid? Or does it go back to the whole famous answer in nutrition and medicine of it depends? Pretty much it depends. Now, obviously, depending on your soy products, there are going to be different concentrations of it. I think that's the one thing. So like a lot of soybeans, what a lot of people don't realize is that they need to be soaked and they need to be cooked and which takes down a lot of the negative associations with it. And that's like all soy products when you get them, like say your soy milk and everything, it's already been heated, it's already been broken down. So it's gone through these aspects, which is a wonderful thing. Um, but we do like see in post-menopause women, um, they've been associated with a reduced risk of developing breast cancer and even uh, reduced risk of dying from the diagnosis of breast cancer. So it's like, cool, that's a wonderful aspect that we know and can help, how do I say, reduce the severity of hot flashes. And kind of in might, and when I see might, I'm saying this with hands up in the air with, we need a lot more on this, um, help in terms of bone mineral density. So it's like, there are good things because of soy. So the phyto, um, phytoestrogens and type of aspects of what it does for the body. 
but it's still, is it truly going to make a difference? Environment and factors are going to be the biggest cause. And obviously, what do you like to it? So you're a person that happens a lot of soy. Does it going to interact a lot with your genes? Is it going to interact a lot with your body? It's a lot to be played with or a lot to be kind of fleshed out in a sense. If you were to give the very quick synopsis of that, do soy-based foods play with your hormones? Not exactly, no. There's more factors at play. Yeah, there's definitely a lot of factors, but I would also say if you are going to enjoy your soy and you enjoy a lot of soy, like say um, I lost a lot of Asian cultures, even they don't have drastic changes in hormonal level from what we've seen. Um, so that's the wonderful aspect about that. So it's like if we're seeing cultures where they eat a lot of soy and having very little um, issues, then we can go like, right, cool. For majority of people, it's going to be A-OK, but then it's always air with this side of caution. Um and that it is. In terms of that, I think it kind of sums everything up. Yeah, and I think that's a really good synopsis. So, guys, if you're unsure of that, potentially listen to it again because there's a lot of details in that. There's a lot of study research in it. So please do go back and listen to that part again if you're unsure. And please feel free to, feel free to uh, pop us a message on that. Yeah. So I think what we can go into next one, um, I think another one of the questions that came in was essentially weight loss is simple in theory. However, extremely difficult in implementation. Yeah, like I think this is what we were even saying of before we literally just before we turn on the microphones, I was like, this could be a rabbit hole that so many of us could kind of go down. I think when people start to, when people try to lose weight, it's kind of like the whole thing of calories in, calories out is thrown out so, so much by so many big names in the industry. Yep. There's nothing where I'm definitely not disputing that that is a massive, massive factor. But I think what a lot of people don't realize is the behavioral factors and the psychological factors factors have to be taken into account. And the reason why a lot of people struggle when they can initially lose weight is that they fall back into their old habits and old routines afterwards because they get it a bit more comfortable. Mm-hmm. And there's so much research on that. Lyle McDonald has done a lot of work on that. And Lyle McDonald, if anyone's looking for like a female fat loss book, the women's book is very, very good on that. It's a difficult read. And it's, but it, 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 if you're a PT, I highly recommend that. I know I've had a few messages about that book over the last couple of weeks, but yeah. I think it's important to like, when we're taking on clients, the questionnaire is very thorough. I think people are, are like, they're not, people can be a little bit wary of why it's so thorough, but we need to know what have, what's, what your dieting history has. Have you come from slimming clubs? Have you tried keto? Have you tried certain elements of diets and how have you failed how have your behaviors worked with those and more often that when people kind of go on a diet now it's like the word diet seems to trigger this word restrict and we don't want that to happen a diet shouldn't be restrictive i remember listening to a podcast with danny lennon and he had a guest on and he was like when you're picking a diet you need to look at a diet and say right can i live like this for the next 10 15 20 years that doesn't mean you have to be on a diet like a calorie deficit for 10 15 20 years it's like can this be a lifestyle in between a few pounds in between a few kilos in between a few sizes and then you just know when to kind of tweak things if you're going on holidays when we can go on holidays and that could be the way but to say this massive sweeping statement that it's simple it's not really there's so many different factors of behaviors in that people need to kind of work around their education side of creating those habits like so often now the barriers are blurred with work uh, people are picking in the kitchen i'm not immune to it at all so that's not me coming on an ivory tower people are looking at their phone scrolling 
like rather than prioritizing their sleep. It's about set, setting the boundaries if you can in your and create the atmosphere that works for you. There will be days where that doesn't go right, but it's about saying, right, how can I win the next day? And I think when a lot of people are trying to kind of go on a diet, they try to remove everything, try to change everything at once rather than focus on one thing at a time, putting one foot in front of the other, and then they won't set themselves up for failure. You may have to take a step back if something isn't right or maybe have a craving or may have like a big big week of celebrations or something like that coming up. You're human. And that's a big thing. Empathy, the psychological impacts of having empathy towards yourself is huge. Changing your wording around yourself, around your terminology around food, getting rid of this black and white thinking that there are good and bad foods. Foods do not have a moral compass. They cannot be good or bad. The thing that's good or bad potentially is the labels that we attach to ourselves and the labels that we attach to food. So potentially the implementation that needs to be tweaked is how we wear things to ourselves, how we see things, and trying to say to yourself, right, what can I do today that is going to be better for myself? Rather than trying to focus on losing 20 kg, why not try to focus on losing your first pound? Why not try to make it a non-scale victory and try to have those small little wins? The message that I got in this week in particular, I got four in yesterday in particular from girls saying, right, I've dropped this and I know I'm not meant to be like all high and happy when the scales drops, but it's huge wins. And I'm not saying not to celebrate them but we have to bring in other metrics. And all four of them came back, said, I've dropped a notch in my belt. My trousers are feeling less snug or I'm having more energy. They're non-scale victories straight away. It's about focusing on that rather than kind of the implementation of, I have to be chicken and salad, Susan, because that's not, that's not going to not going to last long term. Like if you're cutting out foods and you've been doing it all your life every time you go to a diet, the definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over again. It hasn't worked. So why would why would you try it again and set yourself up for failure? Something needs to be tweaked. Whatever that is, potentially reaching out to someone that actually cares, potentially reaching out to someone that knows they're talking about, that doesn't start talking about insulin fairies. But something like that could be massive. Mm. What's your take on it? I'll give, well, I totally agree with everything you said. I would like, but I also like to play a devil's advocate from time to time. It's like for some people, like going in and changing every single aspect of your life can be a wonderful thing you can do to make change, i.e. to see those results. But you've also got to know if you are the person. See, most people want to dive in and do these things when they're not the type of person. They've done it multiple times before and they've noticed they get to the same result, things don't occur. If you know you are the person that can take a lot of change and kind of take all that new challenges and rise to the occasion, by all means, go in and change everything you want. And you can see quite a lot of adherence and quite a lot of change. But if everything you've been doing in the past has shown, as we were saying, that it doesn't work, well, then something has to change. So it's like a lot of people would need to then have that conversation with themselves going, what is the best method for me? Is it changing everything or is it changing one thing at a time? And what will that method do in the long run? And like, as you said with Daniel Land, like what's that 10 to 15 years like? I'm like, do you really want to be counting calories for 10 to 15 years? Do you want to always be only eating carnival? Like why? There's so many nice things out there. It's like, do you always want to be removing carbs? It's like, yeah, we can use a myriad of these methods to get to the end goal, but it's like, you've got to realize that each has its pros and cons and you need to actually have a hard sit down. I think it also depends on what your goal is. So say if you've got like 
a holiday or a wedding coming up. And if you want to do that for a short term of say eight weeks doing a cut like that, yeah. or you're doing a mini cut, by all means do it that way. But and I think it, it also depends on where that person's coming from. So say if someone has yo-yo dieted all their life, yeah. then it, a lot more complications, a lot more things kind of come into play because things haven't gone, may have not have gone all right for them. The education hasn't been provided and then they get frustrated with the whole process. It's very, very person dependent and that has to take into account the person. I think too many plans or diets and are sold as a one-off thing that fits everyone. And that's not the way that a diet should be. It is called personal training for a reason and mm-hmm. it has to take in the human the relationship they have with themselves, the empathy towards they have themselves. You also have to take into account that you may have kids. Like you also may not be the person that's able to go CrossFit six, seven times a day or a week or whatever it may be. You may be just happy enough with going for three or four walks a week. And there's nothing wrong with that. Mm. But you may also maybe the person who has kids that may be picking in the kitchen and then it's trying to identify that little trigger and that little behavior. And that's something that I'm working on a lot with the girls who have parents or who have kids is that it's identifying those who say, hang on, I'm falling back into my old habits. I'm falling back. Let's try and put some fruit out onto the table and have that so I can see that. That's my. That's where I'm going to go for like my little snack. Yeah. If I have my chocolates, there's nothing wrong with chocolate. I value my life too much to take chocolate off my girls. If you have chocolates, but there you're kind of like your trigger food, why not give yourself permission to have that with your, your cup of tea or something like that in the afternoon when you're chilling out yeah. or have it with your Greek yogurt or have it with your porridge in the morning or whatever it may be. People will find that weird that I've said hot chocolate for the breakfast every morning. I have two squares of dark chocolate for my breakfast every morning because I know that will get me through to the evening. Mm. And I've had, that's something that I've had to identify. I was like, right, I have a sweet tooth. So I'll throw in some fruit, I'll throw in some chocolate, and that's something that I've adopted over time. Yeah, I think it also, it's taking those negative connotations away from these things. Uh, it's the habitual side of things that people... Um, don't realize that it works wonderful. It's like if chocolate happens to be one of your issues, have as much chocolate pretty much every single day continuously, you're going to get a point where you're not going to enjoy those things. It's, and that's where it comes down to. It's we look at the food and we place so much value into like chocolate. We put so much value into this one thing and we put it on a pedestal. And as soon as you start doing that, you start realizing it's controlling you, not you controlling it. Like, it has no ability to talk to you. It has no ability to do anything upon your life except give you energy when you eat it. But now it becomes this whole thing that we must do everything possible just to have that, say, square of dark chocolate. And then kind of what hap- what can happen then is kind of like the what a hell effect can kind of come into it. Yeah. And that's when people tend to be like, so the what the hell effect is very similar to what Paul Dermody has said, which is the fuck it button in less poetic terms. I don't know. I d- I don't know if uh, Paul realizes that that is what I think. I'm not sure if he's, if he knows that that's where it stems are from, but it kind of happens. Like if you've had some chocolate, well then what the hell I may as well continue to eat the rest of it. Mm-hmm. There's nothing wrong with that, but it's about the language you use to yourself afterwards and saying, right, I'm going to go and win the next meal. Like Trisha's transformations always talks about press the reset button. Yeah. But I think after a while that can also be a negative in that there's only so many times you can keep resetting yeah. with this whole diet starts Monday mentality. Like I was talking to someone on DM today and she was like, oh, I'm going to wait until Monday to start. I was like, has that ever worked for you before? And she's like, no. And I'm like, well, would you not try and say to yourself, right, I'm going to get three regimented meals into my meals today. And she was like, that's actually really clever. I know I th- never thought of doing that. Mm. 
and something as simple like that little tweak of trying to get your three regular meals it's nothing to do with your metabolism going up and down or slowing down or escalating or going turbo 90 minto minty fresh or whatever it may be it's about trying to regulate the blood sugar so that you don't want to eat the wall when you're in when you come to the evening because most people the evenings are when boredom tiredness loneliness can creep in and hunger and boredom mainly can creep in so we want to try and say to ourselves right have our three main meals and if you want some small little snack and towards the end of the evening by all means have it and if you've potentially had a little bit more crisps or a little bit more chocolate or a little bit more ice cream that evening well then why not just try to say right let's go again one day out of one week one meal out of one week will not derail you if you don't allow it to yeah, like in terms of like, I was telling uh, one of the girls there on Monday, Tuesday um, at work, she was there and they were having food and everything. And like I went, like when I used to work in the office, I went one, one easy way I used to do it, it'd be like, there's usually three to four birthdays a month, sometimes there's less. So I went, the way I used to do it is like, right, I'm going to have something on the first week. Um, if there's a birthday, if there's something, I will go and have a little slice of cake, a little donut, whatever it's there, I would enjoy that. The next time it happens, I go, well, because I had it the first time, I'm not going to have it now. So I create this one-off, one-on, one-off, one-on. As time goes on, you start getting this understanding of going, hmm, do I need to eat that? No. And then you start seeing the process of one-off, uh, one-on starts coming one-on, five-off, one-on, ten-off to the point where you only then start choosing, yeah, I want to have food because I want to have it, not because I feel forced and pressured by the people around me. It's because that cake looks absolutely divine and I would actually like to taste it. So you kind of work on that ability to kind of notice the difference between these things, but you're working on it in the sense that you're not letting it control, you're not letting the pressure control you, and then you're working it into your day without the guilt coming in. Yeah, I think it's about identifying the guilt as well. I think that's a massive part of it because I don't think a lot of people understand the the emotions behind the certain words and stuff that they use. I don't think, I think they either don't identify the label or they don't understand the label. It's just uh, words. Like, what does that matter? Like, come on now, you know? That's always the issue. Yeah, and I, and I think when, 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 you've told, when you've said a certain word to you over and over again, it's a, it's it almost like as we've spoken about before like it becomes a self-professing narrative it becomes a story you keep telling yourself yeah. but i can't do this oh i'm a failure and those words over time build up build up and build up and hold you back like whenever we start to do something whether it's a business or whether it's starting a podcast or whatever it may be or sending out an email we're looking for a guarantee that it's going to work but the one thing i can guarantee is that you're going to fail if you continue to do it old ways with bad habits yeah. or if you don't do it at all. Yeah, 100%. I think that's the biggest key. It's you have to understand that every single time you take these words and confess them on the air, you're changing an internal identity of yourself. And the more and more you put it to that negative side where you associate with all the negative things, the harder these aspects become. And we see that with people's identities, the people that can take the world in and understand what's occurring and go, hey, that happened, move on, often don't stumble as much through life. They don't have the same challenges. They don't have the same issues that arrive because they're looking at life and go, it happened I'm not bad at things. This is naturally how it's going. And then they overcome these obstacles. When the person is the opposite 
then they start looking at everything. I'm the bad person. This food is bad for me. I can't do this. All these things, they start noticing that the challenges become harder and harder to deal with because you end up changing your framework. You change the way you end up dealing with these obstacles. And that's a massive problem. We're not dealing with them at all. And like, we're not coming from this as like from an ivory tower. And I keep having to say this, like any topic that we talk about on this is something that we've all battled ourselves. Like we've done every stupid shit under the sun when it comes to a diet. Like like, uh, we were talking about this like probably a couple of weeks ago and some of the stuff that we've done, I even found one of my old kind of like mass gainer things that I was kind of looking at downstairs and I hadn't opened it in a while. So the smell wasn't great. Um, I nearly grew my hair back. That's how bad the smell was. But I think we all try stupid shit and we all, we have to take a lesson from something. We have to take a lesson from the failure and use it as feedback towards saying, hang on, this hasn't worked this time take a pause let's try and reassess and try to change the language how you say to yourself have you failed or is i can you say to yourself right is this the right approach for me yeah. calorie counting isn't necessarily the right approach for everyone oh, yeah. and i think when people kind of think of calorie counting they're like oh, do i have to weigh everything i'm like no i think the two things aren't attached can can calorie counting be a, a, be helpful 100 it's a tool it's not a death sentence well, what we have to identify it is it doesn't cause an, an eating disorder. And I think that's what a lot of people think is like, but I think a lot of people get bogged down in it, but they don't understand that one, there are there is a small element of it that you can use the barcode scanning function on it. I think a lot of people saying they'll have to enter everything in manually, but if you use the barcode scanning function, that's changing, that that's getting rid of that monotonous feel that you have. Mm. Scan the barcode of the food, it enters the information in for you rather than having to manually input it. You can also save your meals. Most people who I talk to on a daily basis will eat the same foods Monday to Friday. And then you're kind of like, well, how is it getting monotonous if you're entering the same meals in three or four times? Exactly. It's already saved. It's there waiting for you. The, the thing even recommends it to you going, hey, look. And you go, thank you. I think... I think it's also key to say like, I don't get like, neither of us get all our clients to track calories. Does it help? Potentially. But we will work very, very closely with our clients on their portion control, getting the habits. And I think sometimes it may be the millionth time we say something to a client and the the we will keep saying the basics, keep saying the basics, keep saying the basics. And then all of a sudden something clicks and that's when, the, the freedom, the crutch, the anxiety around things seems to drop. Yeah. I think if you're persistent putting one foot in front of the other, not blaming anyone, not blaming yourself, taking control of what you can, controlling the controllables, doing your non-negotiables, which we love about, we love talking about. Like I, Dallas and I have our, cal- our calendars open in front of us. I can see Dallas as he can see mine. And without those, I wouldn't be able to do anything. Yeah. I'd be working off my client schedule, so I'd be working off Dallas's schedule. But by having those not those in and those non-negotiables in, everything else can fall into place. That's implementation is easier for me knowing that I can look at that. And some yeah. people get bogged down that they feel like a crutch when they think, "Oh, this I'm I'm more of a free spirit." And I've had clients when they say, "I don't like the planning thing," and then about six months later, like even this morning, one of my clients is like she had a board behind her with her her plan behind her. I was like, that looks uh, kind of like a, a diary there. And she was like, yeah, I decided to listen to it because I felt, uh, and it's, it's revolutionary. Her, she got a promotion because she brought that in. Yeah, but, but this is the key. 
Discipline sets you free. And it's this is what people cannot comprehend in the beginning. It's like, no, no, no. When, when you tell the world and tell yourself what the non-negotiables are, what things need to be built around, then can you open up your time to do the things that you want to do? Then can you have the time to explore the things you want? When everything is in a chaotic state, nothing gets done. And it's like, yes, we all love the whole, I can go do things when I want and all this occurs. Yeah, cool. That's wonderful. Use it on your weekends. But when it comes to Monday to Friday, at least, I went, there needs to be time and there needs to be discipline to the approach that you're trying to improve your life, make your life better and give you time to do the things you want to do. If you can't schedule these things in, you will never find the time to do the stuff you want to do. Yeah, I think we're great at planning our work meetings, but we're never good at planning our own meetings for ourselves. And that doesn't mean that you have to say, right, I'm going to meditate at half six, I'm going to have breakfast at seven, all this kind of stuff. It's literally just booking it in saying, right, I'm going to book in a walk at say three o'clock in the afternoon before I get stark. I'm going to, I'm going to have a date night or a family night with my kids or my partner or whatever it may be. I'm going to ring a friend on a Friday. I'm going to have poker with the lads on a Friday online. Book something in for you every week and I guarantee your wording to yourself, your empathy towards yourself, the how you see yourself over time will completely change. There's a direct link from the habits that we've changed for ourselves. I was like, I remember when I first found out about all this kind of planning and all this kind of stuff. I, I was kind of like, this is this can't be it. This can't be this new fad thing that's going to come in. Mm. There's a direct link between my headspace, my happiness whatever happiness is is subjective but my talus is laughing at me um me being content in my own skin between me having created that plan yeah oh it's it's a it's a miracle in that and i went like my first uh, round into it was using panda planner and wonderful in that sense because in the beginning of the panda planner had the aspect of what are you grateful for and what are you willing to work on and then you put your goals in you put your time you're going to do your exercise in why you're going to do your exercise and then you've got your actual necessary task getting done for day and then you've got side projects which you can put there and go hey these are the side projects so you always know that you need to get through your tasks and to do your exercise and be grateful for the things around you and then you start noticing once you get through one book and you're there going I don't need to do this in a book anymore. I can do this off a Google Calendar. I could literally just put it on the whiteboard and start adhering to that. And a lot of people internalize these aspects. And then you start noticing that your ability to control the controllables is so much easier. And that's it. Yeah, I think we just overcomplicate an awful lot of things. We worry because of stress in ourselves, looking for a guarantee. And then a lot of us don't really do a lot of things. I've been there. I wait, I like, I look back at kind of like 26, 27 years and I'm kind of like, I could have saved myself a hell of a lot of heartache just by starting, like kicking the, kicking, like pulling the cord on a lawnmower and actually putting the engine into, turn the engine on rather than kind of just letting it float around. But you have to start somewhere. There's no such thing as a perfect time to start. There's no such thing as motivation going to bring you to your, where you want to go. What's not going to bring you to where you want to go is potentially the BS that you have in your own mind and mm. that it's different for you because I can tell you it isn't different for you. It's not different for me. It's not different for anyone. It's not different for Cristiano Ronaldo. Cristiano Ronaldo has just shown up more often than not. He was always renowned for doing more practice, 
than any other United player. And he, that was even at 17, 18 years of age. Yeah. And they were always fascinated. Like Scolese was probably in his 30s at that stage. And they were always fascinated by the level of that kind of stuff. Beckham was renowned for it as well. Johnny Wilkinson was renowned for it. So there's a different... I'm not saying that you're going to become a, a professional athlete and win the European Championships or win the World Cup by doing it. But if you can put in those small little pra- practices into place, I guarantee it could bring you to closer to where you actually want to go. It's like a map. But like, and I think that's a, like a perfect segue into like we're talking at the beginning of the podcast, like with grit, um, which is another way of saying um, non-cognitive skills, say like passion and perseverance for long-term goals, despite setbacks, your failures and all competing pursuits, right? And it's a interesting aspect that's a trait that's developed over time and some people have a little bit more in the beginning but when we start seeing that when you have that perseverance trait we get like higher grades you have increased happiness and life satisfaction you you kind of persist through physical mental demands more than other people and then often you would see um when someone has more grit perseverance they're often do more deliberate practice. So that ties in with Cristiano Ronaldo and some of the greats. They, they do more of that deliberate practice, which over time turns into improved performance. And it's that natural point where it's, I'm going to be better at this. I'm going to be good at this. And to do that, I need to put the time into this practice. And then it turns into amazing aspects. One question that kind of people come in to with that whole side of like the element of grit and showing up and stuff is kind of like, well, how can you do the off time? How can you have downtime? Do you ever get downtime? Do you ever like just chill out and do nothing? I mean, that's, that's, that's the counter argument to it is like, well, I don't want to be always on or turn my, my head's always going 90 anyway. I need some downtime. Otherwise my body will kind of like stop working for me or playing ball. How do you find that balance for yourself? In terms of when it comes down to this, it's actually trying to decide the kind of goal at hand. So like, and this is the biggest thing. It's the goal at hand will decide how you do the things and what you need to do. And I think a lot of people don't realize that aspect. So like when I was trying to talk about aspects, it's like a goal hierarchy. It's like your biggest goal, if you picture in your head now a pyramid, that biggest goal sits right at the top. That is whatever you would like to achieve. And everything underneath it is sub-goals and sub-actions. Those actions and sub-goals lead to the top goal being completed. So that means that if one of the actions you do does not work out, you just take another path and it will lead you to that point. And that's where it links in with the perseverance. It's the fact that you've designed everything around achieving your goals you're still switching off, but that means that when you're switching off, it doesn't mean like, hey, I'm going to go, say, if your main goal is weight loss, I'm going to go pig out on the weekend for me switching off. You switching off goes, right, what can I enjoy that still gets me to my goal? You're doing the necessary to recover. You're doing everything you need to do, but you've got to look at it in terms of what is the goal and how much are you truly willing to put in to achieve it? I think what you said there about kind of like, having your excite your kind of your goal framework in in mind of having the bigger goal then having the smaller goals and building up to those it's kind of like a building in that you have the foundations you have the the ultimate goal of building a house but without building the house you can't have the foundations right yep. over time you build up the foundations then you put up the walls then you put in the windows then you put in the doors and there will be little delays in the little process 
uh, along the way. There will be little snags, electricity, all this kind of stuff. But it's about with the end goal in mind. You end up will get you will go there, and it's kind of like brings back in with the whole map analogy as well. Is when you're driving in a foreign country, or when you could drive in a foreign country, yeah. um, or when you're kind of lost, or you haven't been somewhere before, and your sat nav tells you to go left, and then you turn right, and then there's this detour button comes on. You have to go off plan. You have to go somewhere else to get to where you want to go. It may take you a little bit longer. But it's the exact same way. And then it also leads back in with the whole empathy thing that if it does take you a little bit longer, what's the rush? Yeah. But it's also an aspect of self-control in that as well. I think self-control to everyone is completely different. I think that's... Like, do you think it's limited? Oh, 100%. I think a lot of people don't realize that was self-control. So when we're talking about like aspects of self-control, it's like it's one's ability to alter one's thoughts, your emotions, your behavior, and kind of override any impulses or habits that you might encounter, right? So like bad habits, thinking like make this easier for everybody. It's nine o'clock in the evening. You're sitting there watching TV with your partner and you're there and you go, oh, I know there's a pack of Percy pigs in the cupboard. Which choice? Oh, there is. I've like, oh, yes. Can't wait. Um, and so you're sitting there and you're going, hmm, should I have them? Should I not? Your self-control is what's going to stop you from doing that and say potentially eating the whole bag. And the what a, one aspect of self-control, it's a limited an aspect that when you have to use it intensely, it ends up depleting itself. So we can often see that if you happen to have chocolate and all the things you love, you put that there in the morning in front of you when you wake up, you go, nah, not going to have it. I'm going to be great on my diet. Three hours later, you come back to the kitchen, you see it and you go, nah, not going to do it. Going to be great on my diet. Now you do it just after lunch and you're like, it's getting harder and harder to resist because you've used so much of it up in such tense deliberation with yourself. And then people will cave. But that doesn't mean that you always have to be slave to it because it can be improved. The more time you spend working on your self-control, the more it will actually increase. And that's a wonderful thing. But the other aspect is don't put yourself into these situations that can always tax your self-control. I think also like if you're sitting down in the evenings and say the Percy Pigs are in the fridge and you ultimately want to have them, but you can't get it out of your head, what's generally going to happen is kind of like the white bear analogy of that once it's in your head, you, like if I told Dallas to talk, kind of think about a white bear for, and kind of like think about it, he wouldn't be able to get the white bear picture out of his head. It's oh. going to be there. And you're almost teasing yourself by not having it, but it's about understanding, right? Do I necessarily want to have the full packet? Do I need the full packet? Am I hungry? Am I angry? Or am I lonely? Or am I tired? Because most people feel that if they identify one of those, that they're weak. <laughs> but I would see it as a strength by someone being able to say, right, I'm actually not feeling amazing right now. I will have two or three of the Percy pigs. And then if I want more later on, I can have more. Yeah. And an emphasis on I can have rather than I deserve or I can't have, I can't restrict or I don't want, I like you, the language that you use and how you phrase it to yourself. If you're finding that you're really, really tired or you're having cravings and stuff like that, take a step back and say, right, why am I feeling like this? Am I feeling overwhelmed by what I'm trying to do? Am I feeling overwhelmed with what's going on? 
would I be better off in trying to have some of the Percy pigs? Would I be better off in trying to ring a friend? Would I be better off trying to go for a walk? Or would I be just a little bit more empathetic to myself and say, right, I'm going to have half these Percy pigs and then save the rest for later and see how you go. Yeah. Uh, I think the only issue there is Percy pigs are like crack. So don't buy Percy pigs. And the sandbite. But like you bang on in it. And I think a nestle that people don't realize is you can have these things and not eat all of it. Like the self-control kicks in then after having some, and it's a lot easier because you've had some. It's not as an intense deliberation now. But like it's the whole self-control and like you can't, you can't always say, blaming motivation or blaming willpower for what you want to do we are adults we have to take some ownership of our of our things and eating our feelings is like if you if you find you're going down that route please do talk to a mental health professional before kind of going on something but i think a lot of people we all we are all emotional leaders like no one's no one's unique but the severities the different side of stuff comes into play but it's about identifying like i know myself when i'm really really tired so if i look at last saturday didn't have an amazing sleep on friday woke up cranky on on saturday and i was like right what's gonna the question i phrased myself was right what is going to raise up my energy and i was like right i'm gonna go for a walk my non-negotiable go for my walk get a cup of coffee have habit stack get my cup of coffee do my walk or whatever and then i was like right there's football on all day so had a little bit of empathy towards myself, turned off my phone mm. and was like, right, I'm just going to have some chill time, watch the football all day and actually unwind and be kind to myself that day rather than trying to beat myself up. And if an idea comes into my head, have the notebook beside me or whatever and write that down and then look at it tomorrow with cleaner eyes when you've actually had a proper sleep and write, that idea was rubbish. That idea was great. That idea was rubbish. And look at it through a perspective eyes where you're actually in a in a place that you feel in control or stronger than when you're it's so easy to just throw everything and toys out of the pram when things aren't going right that hasn't worked for before that's not going to work for you again yeah i, I think it also ties in then with um what we were talking a little bit earlier about before or fair learning how to breathe and get rid of that emotional severity that kicks in yeah I think that has been revolutionary for myself anyway and clients. And I know Pat Dively's been on and he has a he has an incredible course. Uh, if people are looking for something, and Laura Farrington has something as well on those courses that are, people should definitely... Breathing is understated. So generally when a lot of people get stressed, the breathing gets a little bit tighter, the chest gets a little bit tighter, the shoulders get a little bit tighter. But the simple power of just taking a big massive deep breath in through your nose and out through your mouth or even doing different tactics like box breathing or Wim Hof method or whatever it may be, something as small as that, just taking a chill time, mm. pausing for even 10 seconds, breathing, shouting your breathing, you it's not going to make your problem go away. That's not what we're trying to say. But it can make you think of it through a perspective and look at it through a different lens that may alter how you actually take the action either going left or right left may be devil's advocate right may be like the angel on the shoulder by taking that small breath you may go down right instead of going left yep teach your kids this like honestly anyone who has kids this needs to be taught for the very aspect is you're trying to take a person from a heightened state 
and bring them down into a calm state. So you're just playing with how the body works because then you can bring a little bit more rationality to it and say humans are rational is well irrational. Um, it's just that breathing aspect. And it's like, I try to get a lot of the clients, I know you and I both do the same thing. It's just like, bring it into your life. You'll be surprised at the benefits it will do. When you feel like you're going to absolutely love the head off your partner for something they said, just take a nice deep breath in. Do it again if you need to do it two or three times and then come at it. You're still going to have whatever feelings you're going to be there. They're just not going to be as high. And now you can start a communication process. You can actually start thinking about it. So it's like, just breathe, people, please. <laughs> yeah, I think I think that's I think that's a huge thing. And I think we were talking like, with the problem with the health thing, with like the whole element of stress and breathing and stuff like that. The one of the things that kind of came in was like stress can cause headaches and just uncomfortable feelings and stuff like that. And one of the big things that kind of came in was tips for dealing with hormonal related uh, migraines because migraines are not comfortable at all. Um, but I think with the hormonal related migraines, there's a lot of things that we can kind of bring in. Um, I'm not sure how much you want to bring in or will I work away? Well, like it, most of the first aspect is obviously is there a time and place when it usually happens? What are the triggers? Is it environmental factors? Is it stress factor? Um, is kind of working on that, you know, because a lot of things is, yes, hormonal changes will occur, but you will see things also, uh, also related to the environment and stress. One of those things is more meditation. Um, people always get a little bit iffy when they hear meditation. Um, yeah, they want <laughs> Shane's doing all the fingers and everything. Um, <laughs> when it comes to this, each person has their form of meditation, but the easiest thing to do is actually spending time trying to lower the body's stress, lower the body's ability of feeling these aspects. It will play a big method or play a big role, should I say, in lowering migraines and sense. There are some other weird aspects that have yet to be fully uh, science tested in the sense of doing ice baths or taking really cold showers. Um, yeah, for some, it's very anecdotal. I'm not a person who wants to go jump in an ice bath. I'm not sure you are. Yeah, it's not. So the, those are aspects I highly recommend. You know, if you're going to go through it and work on the meditation aspect, not only will it improve your obviously cognitive aspect and attention, but then obviously you can use a little bit of cold therapy in that sense. What would you like to add? I think what the most important thing you said there was in relation to identifying when they're happening. Are they happening at certain times of the month? Are they happening at particular weeks? And I think migraines need to be kind of understood from how they actually happen. It's generally when the kind of the female hormone, which is predominantly estrogen, uh, which kind of, kind of controls the, the chemical in the brain that affect the sensation of pain, uh, they, the, the drop in the estrogen can affect the headache and trigger the headache. So some of the tools that I kind of use with clients and every single one of them is so, so different and different ones work for different ones. But eating regular meals can definitely impact. It doesn't have to be three massive meals. It can be three, four smaller meals throughout the day. You could be getting your liquid calories from like having a shake with a little bit of oats in it or whatever it may be, blending stuff up if you're feeling that way inclined as well. Mm. The importance of staying hydrated. Water is the most underrated thing that even when you don't have a migraine, genuinely it's it's incredible and your energy levels increase 
lie down or kind of work with no screen in your in your room or put a towel on top of your head or a cloth a cloth on top of your head um i think when no screen time is the hardest part for a lot of people especially no. what's going on yeah 100 percent um another way you could do it is kind of massage the area uh this could be some brownie points for your partner if they want to get a bit of brownie points if they're good at uh, massaging reducing the stress the breathing painkillers could help if you're really really struggling Mm -hmm. um i think that it's important to kind of keep a journal and recognize when those kind of headaches are kicking in if someone is on hrt or hormonal replacement therapy you could check in with your doctor and see if they need to kind of reevaluate the dosage uh if you're on the pill check in with your doctor i think the last one is brings up that e-word again which is empathy and kind of just be sound to yourself and yeah. kind of saying to yourself having now would maybe not the time to kind of like push yourself for your training may not be the time to do anything really and kind of just say to yourself right if i can take a chill out day for like a day or 36 hours or 24 hours or 48 hours or however long this is going to last i know i'll be coming out of this a better in a better state that i can kind of like rest and enjoy my training a little bit more or i can enjoy my walk a little bit more mm. i think that needs to be taken into account as well i think there's like in terms of more uh <laughs> aspects of bringing more nutritional part to it um like a lot of people don't realize like vitamin b2 is going to be quite a uh, effective um i know there's still a lot more research to be done on it but like uh b2 is usually um from the preliminary research we do have it's kind of like reducing the intensity as well as the duration of a migraine you've got like uh, coenzyme Q- Co- q10 um has found also more reductions um in the migraines as well as like severity um i believe as well i remember like vitex agnes castus if i'm castus yeah Yeah, but not if you're like don't take that if you're on the pill there we go and so there we go i think like those would be pretty much where you would go like i know some people often like to say like lavender magnesium but for the time being, there is still not enough research to say anything on those aspects. But definitely vitamin B2, if you're not getting enough of it, could be a very good aspect to start making sure you bring it in. Yeah, I think like there's a, there's a, there's a hell of an amount that we've kind of covered there. And I think, yeah, like I didn't realize how far we've gone, how many tangents we went off. And I think one of the last ones that we're kind of going to talk about is in relation to sugar. Um, sugar is one of those that kind of gets an awful lot of bad press it gets it triggers people it triggers people mentally physically appetite hormones everything attitude behavior everything kind of gets triggered and then people blame a certain food group sugar gets an unfair rep sugar isn't bad for you in the regular doses and what that dosage is is person dependent there isn't like say 60 grams of sugar for dallas and 30 grams for for or 60 grams for me is perfect there's nothing about a certain grammage i know it's someone texted me the other day about like oh my fitness pal is telling me that i have to have this certain sugar amount with this threshold and i was like but my fitness pal has also told you to go to 1200 calories so it's kind of like if you're finding that you're sugar levels or it's impacting your cravings or anything like that well then that's when we need to kind of tweak things slightly is it impacting your mood is it impacting how you're feeling is it impacting loads of different things 
But I think the main question is, do you have to cut sugar out in order to lower body fat? No, but also what sugar are we talking about? I think that's always the, the fun part. Um, I think big people like lump uh, refined sugar and high corn fructose syrup with uh, fruit uh, because like fruit's got fructose and fruit's got sugar and that's bad. And it's like mm, fruit ain't bad, everybody. Like it's when you want to think about it, fruit is one of the few things that gives you not only vitamins and minerals, but also gives you some extremely good benefits from controlling blood sugars to actually help reducing um, blood pressure. It's like these things are amazing and they've got sugar in them. It's just, no, you don't really need to cut out sugar at all to lose weight. And I think it's something that we need to keep harping on a little bit more and more and more about the fact that it is not an issue um, with that. So it's just like, Eat your sugar, eat your fruit, enjoy, use some sugar. It's like, as you pointed out, like it's person dependent. Some people will prefer a lower dose and some people prefer a higher dose. It's person dependent. But if as long as you're in a controlled diet, you are doing absolutely a-okay. What about the impacts of the kind of like, how do I say this? In relation to sugar, and if you cut out sugar, does that mean you can kind of like spot reduce fat off your legs, your stomach, or anything like that? No, 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 no. Well, surprisingly, we have some re- some research. We actually do have research that shows that we can't exactly spot reduce. We can, uh, in effect, create better working um veins and capillaries to certain areas which could potentially bring more like say stubborn fat from those areas yet all the studies shown go there is no significant change at the study whether you reduce the sugar or keep sugar high and that's in relation to kind of reducing it on certain parts that's not like someone going to themselves and saying right i'm gonna i want my legs smaller i'm gonna reduce sugar now fall off my legs no, it's definitely not going to do that. Okay. Well, I just want to clarify even, that. Like, even though it would be amazing, because like, geez, that would be slick. I'd be like, oh, look here. You see this part of my like, you know, left upper tricep? Yeah, let's get rid of that one. Oh, yeah. Over my ass cheeks? Yeah, get rid of that one. I wish. It would be nice if you do want to do spot reduction like uh, lipo. Like, there you go. Please don't. <laughs> Uh, is there any other questions that we kind of want to talk about? Um, we got one for struggling to get protein in. Yeah, I think that's an important one because I think that's coming in more and more because it, it doesn't look like this thing is going away anytime soon until everyone gets what's going on or the injections or whatever it may be. Mm. Um, yes, it's, I think when people hear protein, they hear they think Arnold Schwarzenegger or The Rock. They're kind of like afraid of protein in the fact that it may make them bulky or uh, without understanding really realistically what it does. It helps your immune system. It helps your hunger levels, helps to build muscle. There's so many different factors. And I think when you're on a diet um, or building muscle, it's, it's really, really helpful to help reduce your hunger levels due to it's slower releasing in your body. Mm. Uh, it actually takes a little bit more effort for your body to digest protein. So it's slower releasing into your stomach so that you it releases the the kind of like the fullness and stuff like that a little bit quicker. And how to get it into your day a little bit more? It comes from different two different aspects. You've got kind of like 
the vegan aspect or you've got kind of like the person who isn't a vegan, uh, John and Mary down the road, who isn't vegan. Um, and I think when it, 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 what I would encourage is people to get it in with, with kind of like the three regular meals every day. That could be an egg, that could be some baked beans, that could be a chicken. You don't have to be chicken and broccoli diet in order to have protein. A lovely a snack could be a Greek yogurt, could be cottage cheese, it could be some peanuts, but just be careful of the amount of peanuts that you were having because they be, can, could be quite high in calories. So if you're only having, say, three or four like cashews, they could be higher in calories than you actually think. So it's about kind of saying, right, are there better sources? Potentially. There's the likes of fish, uh, there's the likes of steaks, venison, uh, lamb. Uh, there's loads of different kind of sources of getting your protein. And if you're really, really struggling, like the Greek yogurt one's really handy, cottage cheese is handy. But if you're really, really struggling, the likes of whey can definitely help you in that regard. Like if you're if you're having porridge in the morning, you could throw in a scoop of whey and you're probably getting 25 to 30 grams of protein straight away. And I guarantee that will potentially keep you a little bit fuller until your lunch. And then you'll have your lunch, you'll have some, say, maybe beans on toast. Something as simple as having some beans on toast and a little bit of cheese grated on top could be a simple lunch maybe even throw out a handful of spinach that could be that's a way of getting your fiber in as well i think people think when they think of beans like there's sugar and beans there's carbohydrates in bread like no please stop um i think when it comes to your dinner just try to get a little bit more protein into your dinner you're better off having kind of like more regular protein feedings to help with your curbing your hunger to help keep you fuller for longer uh, and if you're building muscle with the muscle gain and stuff like that you may need a little more regular feedings of your protein in order to kind of help with like leucine thresholds and stuff like that um do you have any other kind of recommendations that go your go-to you've literally got all of them and like if i'm being lazy which we are i have no problem admitting it's going to be a can of tuna uh, some cottage cheese, some beans, bread, or in a pita. And I'm essentially hitting my fiber. I'm getting a different form of protein. I'm getting two, di- well, three different forms of protein, technically. Getting a bit of flavor from my cottage cheese um, and then using the tuna and then the pita breads there. Whole meal. So I've got my uh, little bit of carbs done. Chow that down, happy, and then carry on working throughout the day. It's. <laughs> I'd like make your life simple and easy, plan it out ahead, know what you're going to eat, have an understanding of what everything like Shane has just gone on. Like in terms of said, like you've got so many options. It's like, you don't have to be limited to just chicken, broccoli or rice and fish cakes. Well, please don't go down the rice and fish cakes route. Um, That's a tangent. Um, But I think it's important to like, most of us will eat the same three or four meals every week and then the variety comes in on the weekends and this was a lot of people struggle with and i've been there when i got a so-called normal job that was the biggest thing i was like oh, why am i not doing that and then I'd be like thursday come i'll be like i had the pace from thursday until sunday and i'd be like why am i feeling like shit why am i going for these pizzas and all this kind of stuff I'm not saying pizza's bad but it's quite a lot of calories in them and you've been drinking all weekend and you're kind of like well there's four days of the week gone and then there's three days of the week left and you're like well the majority of the time has been spent kind of like not necessarily thinking about what I want to do and when I say thinking it doesn't necessarily mean like I have to have it this time I have to have it this time I have to have it this time but if you can say to yourself, right, roughly working towards your normal working hours of I'm going to be having lunch at 12 or one o'clock and stick to a normal routine for yourself, like the lines are blurred. Like if you're mornings, if you're saving yourself on your commute in the morning 
at the minute. That could be your optimal time to say, right, actually sit down, take it by half an hour for yourself, have a family breakfast or whatever it may be. Could be to read the paper, could be to have a coffee and a bit of oats in the morning and then start your day that way. Make your day work for you, make your diet work for you, make your routine work for you and you work for you. Don't let other people try to derail you. Don't let other people try to have a say on you. Would you tell, would you swap places with that person? That's the biggest thing that I always say to myself. When someone's trying to give me, I get information in DM saying you should do this X, Y, and Z. I'm like, I'm okay. Thank you. Mm. But beforehand that would have stressed me out. Mm. I think it's important where you take your information from. I don't know what you think about that. Oh, 100%. Like a lot of people don't uh, do a social media audit audit. They don't like, they keep seeing people who not only have bad relationship with foods and kind of make bad relationship with food, like, uh, hey, this is healthy, which is not. Um, and also just like a lot of bombarding. I mean, like, if you look at it from an evolutionary aspect, like we've got stress everywhere around us, like everywhere. We were not made for this stress and we haven't evolved for this stress. So it takes a lot of toll on our bodies. And if you keep having these negative aspects show up and you have like, you know, not going through any of these audits, it's going to be a problem for you in the long run. It's like, and it's not something you want. So it's like filter these things out, get information for people who you know you can like and trust and have legitimate aspects to them. They're not someone just got a glue band around their freaking knees and doing some weird ass quacky things, walking around going quack, 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 quack. And this is how I build my booty. And then telling you, take my pills because that's how it's going to make your life better. It's like work on those aspects and remove those aspects from your life. And you'll start noticing that you've got a one aspect of your life that is not as stressful and it's not going to give you so much issues. Yeah. I think there's, there's so much in, we've gone off on tans on this episode. Who knew? Um, the uh, there's so much there. We've talked about soy based foods, playing with hormones, struggling to kind of get protein into your day. Is weight loss simple in theory? Um, what does actually grip mean? Self control limited, the low, the power of breathing and bringing that into your your routine, dealing with hormone related migraines, which I think is huge for a lot of people, but especially with kind of like the stress and understand the body and then you have to cut out sugar to reduce body fat and spot reducing fat i think there's an awful lot there so hopefully you've had a pen and paper during this if you haven't i encourage you to kind of go back to the point where you think you kind of like want to tweak feel free to pop us a message uh, on instagram and dm us and please as always guys please leave a review up on itunes the more reviews you guys leave the more guests i can get the more the podcast can grow i want to get number one I'm competitive. I want to knock Slim World off fucking number one. Um, so, guys, thank you so much for listening. Thank you so much, Dallas, for coming on, man. As always, it's been a pleasure. We'll look forward to next Coach's Corner. Thank you, guys, for listening. Thank you so much.